This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Housing Matters, the Vancouver Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Stuart McNish. Coming to you from the studios at Old Boy Productions in Vancouver. Today we're looking at the pre-sale and new sale market, in particular townhomes and condominiums. In the last quarter, fewer projects were introduced into the marketplace than at any time in recent memory. Why, you ask? Well, developers, just like everybody else, are taking a little let's wait and see moment to see what's going to happen. One thing we know for sure is it's no longer enough for a developer just to put up a building. They also have to build the community that supports those buildings, and there's two reasons for that. Many of these developments are further and further away from urban centers, existing ones, and so schools and playgrounds and daycares and dry cleaning shops and those you know neat little boutique uh, stores and delis aren't there. So the developer has to make the development more attractive, they have to create that community. And the second component of that is you want those services to be within walking distance because you don't want to be putting more cars on the road. Today we have two guests. The first is Scott Brown of Fifth Avenue Real Estate Marketing who knows all too well that developers to remain competitive must develop communities as well as buildings. And our second guest is Brad Jones of West Group, the company behind the massive River District that's down in the southeast corner of the city of Vancouver, a new development that is a long way from existing community services. So West Group says it recognizes that they have to build that community. Joining me now is Scott Brown. Scott, welcome. You're with Fifth Avenue, is it marketing? Well, I'm the president and chief executive officer of Fifth Avenue Real Estate Marketing Limited. Mm -hmm. So we work with developers of real estate, particularly focused on the suburban markets, although we do do research on the entire market and present a report free to the industry called and to the public called The Fifth Dimension. So what is The Fifth Dimension? The Fifth Dimension is a report that I started working on in 2010 uh, based on the fact that you know developers can pay to get information on pre-sales. But, and CMHC has information on pre-sales, but generally, like last year, for instance, about 17,000 new multifamily homes, townhomes, condominiums, high-rise, low-rise, you name it, were sold. Mm -hmm. And probably a fraction, a very small fraction of those actually show up on MLS. They'll show up two or three years in the future when they're completed. And they become resale. When they become resale or when they complete land titles. But so we realized that we needed to provide a concise, quick, you know, page, 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 page per neighborhood summary of what's happening quarterly in the new market mm -hmm. and comparing it to resales. So we started putting that out and built up a following. And I guess we're entering into, uh, well, I'm just writing the first quarter edition in our 10th year uh, for, and that'll be out in about, I don't know, a week and a half. So... 
Who is that directed at? So it's for anyone. So who, who are the audiences that pick it up? I mean, the, the financial lenders pick it up because it's a good, concise summary for them of what's happening in the markets. Our client base, developers who have in-house marketing and sales teams use it. Uh, the realtor community uses it. It's qu quite a number of them subscribe for free and, and get it quarterly. Uh, there are some consumers that get it. It's available to consumers. I encourage them to go to our website, Fifth Avenue, or fifthav.ca and get it because it's mm -hmm. free. And if it's free and you can't get it, why wouldn't you get it? <laughs> right. Especially if you're looking at buying or being involved in that market. Yeah, and pre-sale or new, right? Mm. Yeah. So what 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 is your report about to tell us? So what we'll find, and this is why it's really important, yes. and I think we need richer conversations about housing, and that's part of our aim, mm -hmm. is to stimulate dialogue with that. Yes. But it's also to provide some perspective that maybe counters some of the sound bites that are out there already. Because much of the sound bites, when they talk about the real estate market, are really with respect to resale. Mm -hmm. So can you imagine the car business if they based the whole future and, and assessment of the health of the car business solely on you know, autotrader.ca or, <laughs> or resales. So but we do that for a different reason. You know, let's, you know, be realistic about the fact that people go, I got a lot of money invested in that house, resale or not. Oh, no, and I, I mean, and it's really important And I get that, and, and, yeah. but I think in certain places, you know, like, like Vancouver's becoming, like yeah. New York or London, the, the new is a relevant conversation, as is the resale. So I just want a balanced perspective right. on that. <laughs> but what you're going to find in this edition is that the last quarter, so what we just came through, yeah. we, we'll have the lowest new sales sales probably since I started writing that report. Lowest. Yeah, in terms of volume. But what you'll find is it was also the quarter where the lowest amount in 10 years of new product was released. So, so, so supply was held back because developers, just like consumers, were uncertain about what kind of a market am I launching this new product into mm -hmm. and where should I price it accurately? So they're watching everything just the way the consumer and the media is. Okay, but from the development pers perspective, it takes longer to get to this point in the marketplace than it does for the consumer because they have to uh, anticipate where they want to go. they got to go through all that approval process, secure financing, marketing, everything like that. So were they already... In the development side, um, looking, saying, okay, there's an adjustment coming and we need to move a little bit more carefully at this point. Like, were they ahead of the consumer, already aware that, that, you, that, know, that you know? I can't speak for the industry as a whole, but there's a lot of smart people out there that obviously have been reading the tea leaves since last July mm -hmm. and moving to either more affordable product or we brought a lot of product to market early, just going, okay, at some point, this is going to get tighter. So there's still a market for it and consumer confidence is mm -hmm. still strong, so let's launch. So, so uh, I think that... And again, a pause, and we did see it in the 10 years I've done it, different quarters where people said, hey, let's let's move a launch into second quarter when we know that's historically the busiest new quarter, you know, kind of April till to er, you know end of June, early July. Mm -hmm. so, so they're probably, you know, inherently risk adverse, even though they're risk takers. So they might have just said, let's just wait and see what happens. And then and now what I think you're going to see is a number of these these opportunities. I know we're bringing to the market that mm -hmm. that that, you know, that we probably could have, you know, maybe accelerated, but we're like, okay, now we feel good about coming forward. We know a little bit more about what we're dealing with. Okay, that begs the question then, what are we dealing with? Because as, as you pointed out, we're all sitting there watching going, okay, how's this all gonna shake out? Do we have a clearer sense of where it's at? And let me give a little bit of a caveat in there because I'm reading more and more, we're hearing people say, okay, uh, we've been waiting. But the demand keeps building. People still keep moving here. The need for housing yeah. continues. And so, yeah, there was a pause, but are we ready to move again? 
or like or or right. are the doomsdayers right when they say oh no there's a collapse that's coming well i think the danger is either being generally too bullish or mm-hmm. or 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 too you know confident and or too negative and so what i would say isn't so much uh you know it's about where mm-hmm. right so we know for instance right now that in 2008 when everything happened this is not 2008 no and in Vancouver, I was working internationally at the time and have concentrated in Vancouver since about 2010. So about the time I started rep- doing that report. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go to the States and you go to a conference, they now refer to that in their textbooks and their industry publications as the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it was a much bigger deal than it was here. We oh, bounced yeah. back. But what happened was our suburban communities had not matured in terms of their placemaking and their sense of place and their retail back in 2009 and 10. And so when prices came down in Vancouver and you could buy condominiums again for $300,000, that investment interest and that end end user interest came rushing back kind of into Vancouver. Mm -hmm. This time it's very different because A, a population base has shifted to suburban living, urban suburban living, right? The job base has shifted out there. And not only that, but with the cost of land and the additional sort of politics involved in more central cores of the Metro Vancouver area, they can't come down to Mm. where they were, right? You know, from my cost basis, I mean, a developer can barely even consider looking at something in downtown Vancouver if they can't earn $1,000 a square foot because they're into the land for probably four or 50, you know, a a square foot if you looked at it that way of what they could build. Mm -hmm. And then on top of it, their construction costs are easily double that. So and then they have permitting costs right, as well, right? And time, and time value, money. So if you're yeah. saying that you know you want to bring out a 500 square foot apartment, mm-hmm. cost wise alone, you have to be at a half a million dollars. So if you want to find product between three and five hundred thousand dollars, you have to go about fifteen to twenty minutes outside of central Vancouver, and and ironically, those areas have also become more desirable and better with retail and access and transit still needs work, but mm-hmm. but it's definitely, you know, it's it's emerging. And so what we're finding right now is, is those markets are actually still very active. So we do about 900 to 1,000 home sales a year. And by concentrating in those neighborhoods, we're probably 150 right now after the first quarter. So we're, we're not that far behind what we were last year. It's harder. You have to be, you know, people are definitely have more time to shop. Mm-hmm. They don't have to buy on their first or second appointment. But there still is that, that, that demand. And if you look at it, look at the population, mm-hmm. look at a mortgage, look what they can afford. Look, the government programs are right in that sweet spot, too, of helping people mm-hmm. buy between 300000 and 550. So right. that demand's not going away. But the investor's also interested in that product. Right, because they see the growth that's going to happen in the other markets and the demand. Rentals becoming very different in our market. Mm-hmm. You know, I, there used to be a stigma to being a renter, yeah. which is ridiculous. If you lived in New Yorker, everybody's how Everybody great a le- yeah. how great did you lease, right? And yeah. you know, how long did you get it for? And you know, who had to die for you to move in? I've been here for thirty five yeah. years, and you're not getting me out of there. And I think that, yeah. that that's <laughs> probably something we're going to see more common in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the younger buyers just you know are either going to be comfortable with with owning a home but a smaller home than maybe the the dream of the fence in the yard. Okay. So in the segment coming up after you in the show, we have Brad Jones from West Group, and they're developing the river. Huge development down there. And the point being with him is, okay, you're not just putting up a bunch of buildings. You're actually building a community because you can't plunk that there and not bring along some kind of community setting because otherwise you're just putting people there and they got to travel forever to get to somewhere else. 
plus you're not going to get the full dining room in your suite and all those things, but you, you build those amenities in. How important is it as we move forward that we can keep housing affordable and create desirable uh, neighborhoods and communities? Does it have to be the, that responsibility falls back on the developer now? Because it used to grow organically. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll give you a good example. There's probably four or 5,000 people in the last two years that have moved or three years have moved into Surrey City Centre. There's another 10 coming. So you have to provide the services and things for them to do. So they're, they're rebuilding their rec center. They've got a rink in North Surrey going in now. Uh, you know, and, but oh, Okay, but is that the city or is that the developer? The that... city's doing the rink. Yeah. The developers are, are, that's probably from a retail perspective, a restaurant perspective, one of the most underfooded and beveraged corridors. So because people want to live there, because of transit, the demand is there, then they can provide those re those services and those re in, in mm -hmm. those restaurants and shops, and those can be viable. And so now all of a sudden you truly do have a city center versus a bedroom community that everybody's firing out of there on transit to mm -hmm. go to go live to go be where they want to be. Yeah. So Vancouver to some of these suburban markets is really becoming an amenity. Oh, I go down there for a hockey game. I go down there for a concert. I go down mm -hmm. with any time anybody comes from out of town, we do the circuit, you know, Stanley yeah. Park. But I don't need to live there. And it's not my dream anymore to live there. Right. That's a big difference. So it's my understanding when we talk about Surrey Centre, Concord is building another one of these kinds of developments that brings with it a tremendous number of en uh, amenities because they realize that's what people want. Well, and I think they do it on a scale that they can still make those work uh, on a budget basis because you still have to pay maintenance fees for those mm -hmm. things. But I think some of them, PCI is doing a marine gateway style development that's already pretty much sold out. I don't know exactly, you know, whether they have one more tower or not. That's, you know, uncertain to me. But, you know, they'll have some rental there. They're going to have more commercial. I mean, if you think about it, for that growing of a population, they have a hospital, they have a they have a universe, two university campuses now there. They have the RCMP headquarters for executives. But they don't have a cake, <laughs> you know, and they don't have a cactus club, and you know they don't. So, so, so that's going to happen too. Yeah, but they need to make accommodations for that to, to be able to happen, and so do a whole bunch of community services. And so this is starting to fall back on the people who are developing uh, that area as well daycare and parks and, oh, yeah. and so yeah. on. Uh, it all has to be a part of that And a lot of, of it is the developer having to take the risk to build it, right, on the hope that, and the reality for many cases, that if I build it, they will come. Mm -hmm. And the people are coming. So one other topic, because it's a, a, a topic that we have out there right at the moment, is accessible housing. So when we're building these communities, how important is it that that, that be a consideration? Well, you're probably talking about the next crisis that we're not talking about right well, now. Well, I think we're already into it. We're into it, I but understand. I think we feel it, yeah. but it doesn't get nearly the same press, which no. is we're about to go through, from my research, the single uh, largest aging on the planet. Yep. We're also going through a huge transfer of wealth. Mm -hmm. And that's another reason why demand for real estate in Vancouver will be, you know, sustained because a lot of people want their kids to stay near them. Mm -hmm. So they're going to have to help their kids and possibly instead of just lending them a deposit, you might see more and more parents being seconds on mortgages. Right. And maybe living in the same complex or even Could the be. same place. Yeah. So what, what yeah. some of the municipalities are doing, and I think they have to be careful with it. Um, is that you can overdo it too, mm -hmm. right? You don't need to make 100% of the homes in a building accessible. We're designing most of our layouts with that in mind, but mm -hmm. you don't have to mandate that. So some Delta, Surrey, et cetera, all playing around with some percentage, whether it's 20%. I think Surrey at one point was looking at 100 and we spent a lot of time saying, well, you know, is that practical? Right. But we're going to have to see that. 
Um, so we had a couple of people in who are all about accessible housing for the show that's just gone out. And one of the things that they're pointing out is, okay, you don't need to build that house right now so that you got all the handrails and this and that. But what you want to do is you want to build into the infrastructure design that making those additions becomes relatively easy. And one of the ones that you know, I never even thought about was when you're building your bathroom, make sure that you put a plug in, wire it in, in behind the toilet, even though you may not use it for 40 years or there may not be a tenant there for a long time. But at some point, somebody's going to come along and they're going to need to have a toilet seat that needs to be plugged in. Yeah. And the last thing you want to do is turn it into a tripping hazard and run it through uh, the, the sink over by the by the door. <laughs> and it's funny because developers have concentrated on the t on the tub shower first. Right. Right. And yeah. then they're going to move their way to that. That's a that's a it's a good suggestion. But yeah. definitely there. I don't I can't think of a wood frame project that we're doing right now where the bathroom isn't reinforced, knowing at some point you could put grab bars in there. Yeah. Because before you didn't have to. Yeah. So you so you you know put it on the wall and tear the wall apart. <laughs> <laughs> the the expression that I got quite a kick out of was, you and I are tabs. Do you know what that means? <laughs> no, this is a good one. Temporarily able-bodied. Like at some point in your life, you live long enough, you're going to have a mobility challenge, if not hearing or sight or something that's going to make you say, I'm glad somebody thought this through. And so if we're future planning... Um, we need to take all of these things into consideration. So, And so much of this now is falling back on the people who take on the responsibility of building the places that we get to. So here's a, here's a big comment on that as well. Yeah. Like, you know, you're focused inside the home. Great. Yeah. But the size of homes. When, when we were back doing a project in Dunbar a while ago, we could offer a 1,000 square foot at a reasonable price, and lots of people in the area could take some money off, the, off of their equity and live there for a while. And, but we are seeing a pattern where people are relocating. There's a bit of an exodus onto Kelowna, some people pre-retirement buying, mm -hmm. and we've been seeing that in the interior of BC. But we've also seen people just moving one or two neighborhoods over to be closer to practically where their kids are going to be. Mm -hmm. But what we're not doing, because of the costs of construction going up and development charges and these kinds of things, Things. It forces developers with bank financing to build things that are more affordable in terms of a price point that sell faster. But it's hard to make the numbers work on something that's affordable and yet larger than 1,000 or 1,300 square feet for that older buyer who's mm -hmm. going to want single floor living. So I, I, I'm one of my concerns of the last couple of years is that that was the trend when the market was tough in 2000, kind of 10 to 13. We could count on two things. We could count on selling a portion of homes to first time buyers without kids. Mm -hmm. And there was a whole bunch of end user buyers who, if you had a thousand square feet or more, would buy it. But now the numbers are, you know, if you start trying to do 1,300 square feet and your costs are up, now you're 650, 700, you know, in certain markets. I mean, we've got one coming out in Delta that we can still hit that 1,000 that square foot under 600,000, and so people can stay in Delta. Mm -hmm. um, the other one is, you know, lots of developers master on the main projects. We opened one on the weekend. We had 300 groups through. It's people 55 plus. The kids still might be coming back, but they want to live on a main floor, and they want a staircase generally big enough if they had to to put a lift in or something like that. So 300 people through on a weekend in this market is actually quite impressive. And it tells you that there's real people with real needs out there still looking for homes. The market is incredibly complex, isn't it? Like, I know that we started off sort of talking about, well, what's the responsibility of uh, developers to build communities and whatnot? But no matter which way we go, I'm always hit with the impression that it's very, very complex. And it's, it's incredibly difficult to make uh, far-sighted decisions that are going to play themselves out to the benefit of not just now, but in time. Yeah. 
and I and I hope that the people who make those decisions around bylaws and taxes and so on are also able to appreciate that what they do now has an impact decades. Yeah, ago. it's fascinating and frustrating at the same time. But, yeah. but you know, if you think you've got it figured out, in my experience, you're wrong. Yeah. Right. But also, to back to your point about conversation, I think about, and I started my career consulting in real estate and financial services and automotive, right? And automotive was the smallest, but it was very interesting mm -hmm. to learn things from how the car dealerships had to reinvent the sales experience because the consumer hated it, yep. right? Uh, so so when you look at the uh, the, uh, the dynamics of that, it, it's interesting to sort of see what was happening in those other industries and how they were kind of trying to adapt. But the financial services operated very much on four very rigid pillars and, you know, thou shall not bank and sell insurance and that's all gone. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but what I find in the development industry is that everybody's off. I was making a joke at another talk the other day that it reminds me a little bit of our, my family in an escape room, right? So far, we've not won. And the first one was, you know, we went out to dinner after and it was kind of disheartening because is that how well we can collaborate, mm -hmm. right? And so when I look at it, I think everybody's off in their own corner trying to figure out who can open this box and I've got the answer and I've got the key. And I just worry we don't have enough discourse and we're not working together. Yeah. I've seen examples of it, right? Right. We've got one in, that we're doing with the... You know, got a mayor in Langford in, on, in Greater Victoria that's been around for, I don't know, 25 years. And he's, his stance to me, and I met with him last week, was that we can't, the taxpayers can't keep funding this stuff. So we have to cooperate with developers, but we need to encourage developers to come up with innovative solutions. So our client has for sale condominiums and a new rental building there. So we brought our version of rent to own there with the client. And, you know, so you can go into Belmont residences and if you're not ready to own, but you want to save a deposit, you can move into their crossing building and you, they'll take 25% of your rent and apply it, you know, in two or three years when you're ready to buy towards your deposit. But Langford said, we'll go you one further. We have a housing affordability, or he likes my word, attainability fund. And we will provide up to $15,000 towards the purchase, provided developer you, you know, you basically have to work with us to, you know, keep your price a certain way or do something else. And, and so there's an innovative collaboration, but it came out of discussion saying, hey, we have this, what could we do? And they, the whole council invited discussion in. My understanding was a unanimous vote to do this and we're piloting it one place and then he'll apply it around Langford. And I'm like, okay, so why are we doing thinking. that? That's good. There's another one in San Diego where it's sort of targeting what the city of Vancouver is trying to do, I guess, with, you know, this, this rental program, but they've got a very innovative program for that mid-tier person, who the person who can sh probably can service the mortgage but can't quite afford, and so they've got some restrictions on market, but it's, again, a partnership with industry. Mm -hmm. and, and so... And government. And government. Yeah. But everybody sort of has come to the table and understood to a degree their role in that. That's another topic. Yeah, that's a big one, probably. <laughs> and, and it's a big one, and I, I hope you'd be uh, open to coming back and discussing that very topic because it's something that we're planning on doing in a couple of weeks. Oh, I think it's totally relevant. And, and, and again, I think that what, what one of the executives, and I think it was, a, you know, uh, the head of Anthem, he said something interesting at, at a speech at UDI the other day that I thought was really stuck with me. And what he said was, look, we don't have all the answers, but our experience is relevant. So we at least have a voice and need to be at the table when we're cooking these things up. Mm -hmm. And it's a paraphrase, but I think it's 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 right on. And so, some of what I worry about, and you know, one thing I've been in, like, in real estate for like twenty nine or thirty years in some way, shape, or form, full time for probably twenty, and I don't know if I've ever seen it become. It was all at least political, 
but it's one thing they never taught you when you started it, <laughs> right? And then you go and take an approvals course, and you're like, whoa, okay, this is political. I don't think it's ever been more political. I don't think it has either. And I think that it raises some bigger questions worth discussing, which is what kind of a society are we creating? I look at when I worked in Singapore, right? They really value their, 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 their society. They, they've determined that a value of their society is home ownership. Uh, but they've done it, in a, and it's not just for, you know, there's different sects of the population or sex, you know, groups mm -hmm. that are struggling with mental health or addiction or co-housing and these yeah. things. But they've, but they've done programs for different groups of people, and they've really found a way to try to get that home ownership rate high, high up, because they've determined that that's better for their society overall, as if everyone somehow has some equity built into a property. And that really is what it's about. That goes back to building communities, doesn't it? Because you're taking into account the needs of, of that group of people that need to be addressed. Well, it raises a really good question that you're asking, I guess, is that, you know, and I don't know the answer, but it's a question. I like the questions first, and then we can figure out the answers together, which is, does someone who has a sense of ownership feel a greater commitment to the community? Do they feel, you know... You know, and again, I think that just because you're renting doesn't mean you can't be that. Mm -hmm. But does ownership naturally make you feel more involved in the community? I don't know, but I wonder. Well, you go back to Scotland in the 1700s, and they would say absolutely so. And that's why they created uh, the very first uh, property ownership program, because they said if you own property, then you're invested in the community that you live in. You're likely to be more law-abiding and, and a greater contributor to the overall society. So it's not a new idea, and I think it's been played out and you know, in country after country. And wherever you see that there is home ownership, there is a greater buy-in to making sure that we live in healthy societies. Right, and I think trying to have programs for different groups of people, like, um, you know, there's a lot of myths or misunderstandings in our industry. I've seen a lot of development pro formas. When all these costs go up, I don't, the, and the market's very active, I don't necessarily think that I've seen, what I've seen, the developer isn't necessarily making any more money at the end of the day. They're taking more risk. Mm -hmm. um, but it starts to drive product decisions that maybe, you know, we could think differently about, you said, accessibility if we weren't under those pressures. I, and again, you know, I like freedom. But on the other hand, I'm also aware of certain things that need to be curtailed. So, for instance, one of the municipalities is trying to come in and introduce significant additions to charges in an affordable market. And I'm going, look, if you charge a developer a portion, right, of the land increase value because you zone something, right, the developer isn't getting that money. The land price isn't going up in the performer because they can't build to the consumer. Mm -hmm. They can't sell anything. But you want to share that because I know you have to fund new roads and things like that. But if we thought that through, what that does, and is there another way? Who's the real enemy, right? So I think that, you know, and it's controversial maybe, that people who land flip, who don't actually add any value, if you buy a piece of property, and this was happening a bit, and they were turning it in a year or so, without taking at least a step through municipal process or adding some value to it, those are the people that I think are creating the inflation. I've never been a big fan of short-term speculators in any market. When I worked in Dubai, I saw them kill it for a while, and it's back now. Mm -hmm. But I saw, you know, when buildings were changing hands four and five times through construction, that's probably not a good thing. That is probably an inflationary thing. Yeah, it's not adding right. any, any value. Yeah, Australia had a really interesting policy, yeah. right? But because it was risky, and they didn't want their local citizens taking risk, buying condominiums, and helping get new developments funded, they said, okay, this would have been interesting in Vancouver. A, a foreign buyer can only buy new. They can't go into the West Vancouver and buy resale homes and, and tear them down and rebuild them. If that was built and torn down and built new, 
by, you know, they could buy that potentially. But so they felt that that helped curtail some of their inflation by, by having investors invest in taking higher risk things. And the more steady eddy commodity of a single family home was restricted to citizens. Thank you very much in coming in and sharing this. And as I say, I really would like to have you come back and we'll delve into some of these other topics because they, they deserve the space on their own. Coming up next is Brad Jones of West Group. The company is building the massive river district way down there in the southeast corner of the city, an area that is new to residential, an area that has been and continues to be a long way from grocery stores and schools and community centers and boutique shops that make up a community. You know, when, when the topic of community design comes up, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, that's one of those gated communities. But that's not what we're talking about, is it? No, not at all. I mean, uh, at West Group, we actually do a fair bit of master plan community work and have in our history. Uh, biggest one we have on, underway is the River District in Vancouver. So it's a 130-acre site uh, and contains, you know, a number of buildings that make up the whole community. And we look at, you know, the building as its own little community as well as the, the broader neighborhood as its community. So too. how do you define community? Like, what are the elements that make that a community? Is it just a group of people who happen to live in the same neighborhood? No, it's not, um, especially in the River District context of just the scale of it. There's 25 acres of city park. Um, there's a future community center and, and child care spaces by the city. There's a future elementary school. Uh, there's a significant amount of retail. So to me, that community is made up of, you know, the kids coming and playing soccer on Saturday, the person coming to work, um, you know, at the daycare. Like, everyone is part of that is part of that neighborhood as well as the residents who live nearby and want to enjoy, you know, a kilometer and a half of um, Riverfront Park. Well, so a community needs more than that. It needs dry cleaners and grocery stores and all that. Do you have to design that into what that space is going to be? And and I'm guessing by the fact that you're nodding like that, the, the answer is yes. But then how then do you start to factor that cost into what the cost of the unit is going to be? Because if you're paying to put that together um what does it mean to the to the person who is buying as we all know a smaller condo than you used to get 20 years ago yeah, and I think that um, really comes down to value uh, and convenience. So the goal in creating the master plan with the city was to have everything within the bounds of that of that community. Uh, so we have, you know, Save on Foods is opening in the next few months. Uh, local restaurants, banks, Starbucks is open. Uh, everything wine is open. Um, so part of that is really a value choice when you're, when you're that home buyer and in uh, really uh, seeking out convenience and seeking out really everything you need is in is in your neighborhood and walking distance. And still, when it comes to buying a unit in one of the buildings, mm -hmm. they're not big. Like we're not talking about big spaces. Yeah. And so then, how do you make the value? Like, so if you're saying we're going to create a community space in the overall community, but you also talked about creating a community within the building That's or right. individual yeah. buildings, what are the additional elements that you have to bring to those buildings that say, yeah, you're getting more than just that five or six hundred square foot unit? Yeah, we put a, a big focus on uh, really extending the bound of what your home is in your building. So, um, you know, the building that we're, we're featuring at River District now called Mode um, has a number of amenities, including a theater room, a common indoor outdoor kitchen with, you know, space to entertain a large family, um, urban gardening spaces, things like that, that are really an extension of your home within the building that you live in. When I looked at the picture, I went, huh. And tell me if I'm right about this. It looks to me like you've got like a dining room that you could entertain 10, 12 people in, complete with 
kitchen facilities. Is that designed to say, okay, yes, you're getting a small space, but we all know that from time to time we want to entertain. Here is the space that's going to allow you to do that. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you can, uh, you may not want to have mom and dad over for Christmas dinner and you're, you know, you're one in Dan or you're two in Dan because you just don't have the space to put the big turkey in. But um, these fully outfitted spaces allow you to have, you know, a 15 person dinner um, and have the whole family over and show off the views and everything like that. So this is not just like one of those community rooms where you can bring all your stuff down on, uh, <laughs> you know, like uh, bring your own stuff and then lay it on the table and we'll then we'll have a it, it's like having yeah it's like having i mean our, our goal in it is you know we sort of we call them test kitchens they're really showcase kitchens you could even bring uh, a chef in to do a, a meal demonstration if you wanted there it's you know top quality appliances great space uh very nicely appointed so why is it important that we do that as living spaces get smaller, people are, you know, they're, they're paying more for a smaller home to stay in the city. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really that value proposition I was mentioning before that um, you're getting more home than just, you know, the four walls that surround where you live. Uh, and it's extending what you call home, what, what you have available to you within your building. So is this one of the advantages that uh, as a builder, you have to factor in, especially when you consider that people are now saying, okay, well, if I'm going to buy that place, I can't look at it as the same kind of investment that I did five years ago because the government has kind of put the kibosh on all of that. The, we all know that uh, prices are softening. Um, as a builder and the seller, are these the kinds of uh, amenities that you have to bring to the marketplace? I think uh, now more than ever, um, but I would say for the past number of years, it's been really important as, as a quality builder. If you want, uh, you know, at West Group, we really think about fostering that social connection in your building. We think that's important, um, not just in your building, but in, in your neighborhood too, where we can where we can assist with that. So it's really spaces to bring people together, um, places to recreate within your own home. And, and, and again, it's just uh, helping you make that buying decision, adding value to the purchase that you're making. You know, you said something interesting. As a builder, you know, we feel that there's a responsibility to bring this to a, a project. Uh, that almost seems to run against the, uh, the current thinking about that builders have some kind of community conscience. Do you really? Like, is, is it really something or is it the right thing to say? Uh, no, I mean, I think at, at West Group, we really do. Um, and there's, every, everybody puts amenities in their buildings and, and, and most cities require it. Um, some very specifically, some less so. But, um, the, you know, we take a really long-term focus with the real estate that we build and we look to, um, you know, grow our client base year after year after year and we like to have those repeat customers and we like to be known as community builders you can find that on our website so uh, you know you see that in the master plan work that we do and we take the same thinking from our master plans of having all of the amenities of life in your community to thinking about it that way in a building where we're offering you you know almost all of the amenities you could think of so does that mean because you know we can go back to the days of uh, you know building got built got built under um, a numbered company, the building was finished, the numbered company went away, and they distanced themselves from that, from that property. Based on what you said, are you saying, well, no, we're actually in this for the long haul. We finished building this. We're still involved. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we certainly look at it that way. It's it's our name and it's our reputation that's ultimately on the building. Um, the, you know, the nice thing about uh, about a master plan like River District and where there's mixed use components is we actually retain ownership of the retail. So we're actually invested for as long as the homeowners are invested in making sure that building's really successful, the project is successful, the retail is successful. We're we're as invested in that neighborhood long term as they are. Well, I think that that's fundamentally important because it's you're not turning your back on the people who have purchased that and said, well, it's now your building, it's mm -hmm. not ours. And so therefore, does it not then mean that the, your commitment to doing a better job increases? And is this something that you encourage people to look for? Of course, you want to sell them your property, but I mean, even if they're not buying your property, is this the kind of relationship that is, becomes important as we move forward? I certainly think so. If, I mean, if I if I were in the market for a home today, I'd be looking for that long-standing relationship. You know, a company that has a history of success, of delivery, and especially if they can be as invested in me, our interests are going to be aligned in making sure that property holds up over the long term. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And as we went into this discussion, I didn't really think about the connection between having this master plan mm -hmm. and what it means as far as long-term relationship is. So one, it improves livability. Uh, enhances the sense of community, but it ensures that from the builder's perspective that you're going to pay attention to doing it the best you possibly can. Well, and you have to, right? How are you going to sell your next building if if the last building wasn't successful? Well, so. in the past it was, who cares, build it, they're coming. <laughs> but right now we know that the market has changed. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it's 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 on the onus, you know, the, the onus is on the developer now to really, you know, um, convince the buyers as there's a smaller pool right now to come to them. And that's part of it. Yeah, okay. Well, thank you for coming in and sharing this with us. Happy to. Thanks for having me. And that wraps up today's show. Now, just before I sign off, I want to encourage you to take in a couple of other Vancouver Sun and Province podcasts. The first is White Towel, hosted by Paul Chapman. Paul and a series of guest hosts bring you everything you want to and need to know about the Canucks. And for all you news junkies on all things political in Victoria, you'll want to tune into in the House, hosted by Mike Smith and Rob Shaw. Thank you for tuning in on Apple Podcasts, TheVancouverSun.com, and TheProvince.com, and on the Vancouver Sun's YouTube channel. And I want to encourage you to become a subscriber because you won't want to miss an episode. As well, I want to acknowledge Arnold Cheng, Greta Gibson, and Derek Hader, without whom this show would not be possible. What a great team I get to work with. I'm Stuart McNish. Thanks for joining us on Housing Matters, the Vancouver Real Estate Show. See you next time. Mm -hmm.